Good morning. It oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, for those of you uh, who don't know me, my name's Esther Simpson. I am a diocesan reader, and uh, James has asked me to be here this morning to lead us in worship. It's always a privilege to be asked back to a church. So the last time I was here was just after Easter, and um, hopefully James and family are relaxing and having a great time on holiday. And so he asked me to come this morning and lead us in worship. Um, we have got various people involved in the service this morning, which is always a joy for me um, and for us as a congregation. Um, and we are going to start now with today's collect. <coughs> blessed are you, O Lord, and blessed are those who observe and keep your law. Help us to seek you with our whole heart, to delight in your commandments, and to walk in the glorious liberty given us by your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's reading is taken from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 32 to 40. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Get, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. So over the last few weeks, you have been looking at these readings from Luke, uh, which is part of a longer passage in Luke where Jesus is doing lots and lots of teaching. And today's passage looks like a bit of a car crash of a reading because it starts with talking about what we do with our stuff here on earth and what we should do. And then it ends with being ready for the coming of the kingdom and for Jesus' return. And and. Similar passages in Matthew are found right at the beginning of Matthew, verses 31 to 34, and right at the end of Matthew, verses 35 to 40. So what is Luke doing? Putting these side by side next to each other. And actually, in most Bibles, if you look in the, in the New International Version, in the English Standard Version, this passage straddles two different sections of teaching. But when Luke was writing his Gospel, he just kind of wrote the whole thing. He didn't write 
chapters and verse numbers, and those were all sort of later additions. So why is Luke saying that what we do with the stuff that we have is an indicator of what we're looking forward to? Before I begin, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of meeting around your word and in worship. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, open our hearts to receive, and open our lives to live this out to your praise and glory. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was at Summer Madness, that insane Christian youth festival that's held in the fields and under canvas. And I was only there for the day, and I was there in my capacity as having a mum, as having a, a very large car and tr being able to transport lots of people at the one time. And in the middle of the day, while we were having lunch, somebody spilled something sticky and wet. And I immediately unzipped one of the pockets of my rucksack and got out a packet of tissues and a little Ziploc bag with antibacterial wipes in. And we sorted out the liquid and then we sorted out the stickiness. And one of the youth turned around to me and was like, how did you know? And before I could tell them that God had woken me up at four o'clock that morning and told me that this would happen and that I should be prepared one of the other youth leaders turned around and told them the truth and said, but she's a mum, she's always prepared. And this is true. I have four children. They are now not generally at the stage where they need antibacterial wipes and tissues, but um, a decade of, of those kind of attritional activities mean that tissues and antibacterial wipes are very often very near where I am. But what has that got to do with our passage for today. Because there's something really certain in our passage, but there's also something really uncertain. So this talk is called Uncertain Certainty, which sounds like a paradox, but is a reflection of what Jesus is talking about. So let's look at the certain thing first. In verse 32, Jesus describes it as, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. In verse 40, he says, the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect. The Son of Man will come. The Father will give you the kingdom. The Master will return. Those are non-negotiable. We can't wish them away. We can't think it's not going to happen. We can't pretend it's not going to happen. Well, we can pretend, but that doesn't stop it happening. The certain thing is that this life, this world, at one point will be changed. The uncertain thing is when. It could be the middle of the night, like it says in verse 38. It could be towards daybreak. We don't know the hour when the Son of Man returns. We're not exactly sure of the day and hour. There is no countdown clock that says it's going to be 327 years and four months and three weeks and two hours, and this many minutes and seconds. We don't have a countdown clock. And the church as a whole has been waiting for this day, for that hour, for that coming, for almost 2,000 years. Which makes it, in some senses, easier 
to be less certain about the certainty. Seriously, 2,000 years, and we're still waiting? But there are two things that Jesus says that will help us in our waiting. And because we had a very straightforward action song, we are going to have a very straightforward action sermon. So I'm expecting some congregational participation. So the first thing Jesus tells us is about our possessions, the stuff of our lives. And the posture that Jesus wants us to adopt is this one. So everybody, hands out, open. In verse 32, he says, the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. A way of translating that would be, the Father has delightedly decided. This is not a grudging thing. This is not like God's going, oh, well, okay then. He's like, yes, this is what I'm going to do, and I am joyful about it. And he's given us not just a little bit here and there. He's given us the kingdom, the whole thing. We may not see it in its fullness. The way the Greek is written means that the decision is final. The decision has been made. God has made this decision, has delightedly decided. We may not have received all of it yet. We may not see it in its fullness yet. But the decision is made. And nothing that you or I or anyone or the world around us can do can change the decision that God has made to give us the kingdom. And in light of this, Jesus says in verse 33, sell your possessions, give to the poor. And here we are in 2022 in the midst of a cost of living crisis. And if you're anything like me, you'll have got at least two letters recently from your gas and electricity suppliers, which mean that my energy bill is well more than double what it was this time last year. Filling up my car is way more expensive than it was at the beginning of the year. The food on the shelves in the shops, more expensive. And you're thinking, Esther, seriously, this? This is the posture we should adopt at a point where prudence would kind of say, well, you know, be careful about what you do with your money. Be careful how you spend it. Be careful how you give. See those things that you could cut back on, those things that aren't really necessary. But Jesus says that our posture of this is actually not to do with our circumstances, but to do with the fact that God has delightedly decided to give us the kingdom. See, this is the posture of a person who says, I have a good father who's provided this for me, and he can do it again and again and again. Psalm 50, verse 10, which we read together, says, every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Was God's name on their owner certificate? No. Are they trademarked with God somewhere? No. Nowadays, that verse might read, every dollar and pound and yen and ruble in every bank account in the world is mine. The world and everything in it is God's. When I first joined the Church of Ireland 30 years ago when I moved from London, 
every, uh, every week as the offering was brought up to the front of the church, there was a call and response from the minister. And the minister would say, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. And the congregation would respond, all things come from you and of your own have we given you. That's an attitude that was fostered in us week by week as we spoke that truth. That is a direct quote from 1 Chronicles 29. All that we have isn't ours. All that we have is given to us by God. So the tighter we cling, the less able we are to be open-handed. And that radical generosity that stance of saying, God, everything I have is yours, and what do you want me to do with it today? Will cause people to ask questions. James was talking about this a few weeks ago in terms of Mary and Martha. Making longer tables, not higher fences. So, posture one, open hands. Posture two, right, everybody lean forward slightly and look. Because that's what the second part of this passage is talking about. Be ready. Be alert. Be awake. Be on watch. I think this is a really hard thing as, a, as individuals and as a church to cultivate in a world where we have mobile phones and sat-navs and tracking devices. So if I'm going to be late meeting up with a friend for coffee, I'll send a text. My children, on one of their apps, watch their friends walk around the corner and up our driveway so they can open the door before they ring the doorbell. But I'm sure there are some of you in this, in this hall who remember what it was like in the days before those things were possible. My own experience of this was I was about eight years old, so in the days before mobile phones, and, and in the days when you had to have different currency, currencies for every country in Europe. And we were driving from London to my grandparents' house in Germany for my aunt's wedding. And this, is, this, is a, this was a familiar road. This is a journey that we did most years in the summer to visit my grandparents. And we would drive from London down to Dover, get the ferry to Calais, and then drive across the bottom of Belgium and into Germany and to my grandparents' house. And usually from Calais, you were talking about seven and a half hours of driving. So probably about, usually with my dad, it was eight hours because it would be like a five-minute toilet stop twice. But this was in November. So we set off from London in good time. We got our ferry. Our ferry was massively delayed because the weather was so bad that our ferry arrived an hour late. The weather continued to be so bad. There was fog, there was rain, there was accidents on the motorways. Um, they reduced the speed limits because there were also some, there were also repairs and stuff happening, roadworks happening. So it actually took us 11 hours of driving to get to my grandparents. So we were supposed to arrive, I think, around 8 p.m. And 8 p.m. arrived and went, and 9 p.m. arrived and went, and 10 p.m. arrived and went, and 11 p.m. arrived and went, and 12 p.m. And it was post, it was after midnight before we arrived at my grandparents' house. Now, we did not arrive at my grandparents' house to find a note on the door saying we've gone to bed. Or uh, we've just gone out for the evening and, like, sit in the car and wait for us until we get back. 
But nor did we have a way of phoning them in Belgium, because we had no Belgian money, to make a phone call and say, this is taking longer than we thought, and we're going to be a bit late. But my parents had sat, grandparents had sat and waited for us to arrive. I wonder what that waiting was like. I'm sure there were points that it were like, oh, are they okay? Are they even coming? Did we get our dates wrong? Did we misunderstand? I'm sure there were points that they were just really excited about us to join in that celebration. And I'm sure towards the end, there was just a lot of, this is taking a long, long, long time. But that is the kind of waiting that Jesus is talking about. See, last week, Dave Thomas was here, and he looked at a man who had a very different posture. The rich fool's posture was like this and like this. I want to sit back take life easy, and keep what's mine. The complete opposite of an open-handed, looking-forward posture. And God's judgment on that man is you're a fool. And fool in the Bible is a strong word to use. Because he's not just a fool for not looking forward and not looking out. He's a fool for not understanding what happens. Because verse 37 doesn't read, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will sit down and one will bring his slippers and another one his dressing gown and the third will, will serve him his hot chocolate with whipped cream and marshmallows as he likes. What it says is, it will be good for the servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and we'll have them recline at the table, and we'll come and wait on them. The master becomes the one who invites his servants into re relaxation and rest and repose and feasting. A few weeks after this, this is what happens. The night before Jesus' betrayal and death, Jesus, while his disciples are arguing about who's the greatest, goes and gets a basement and a towel, kneels down and starts washing their feet. The following day, as he hangs on the cross, he pours out his very life for his friends. He is the master who serves. And we, his people, are supposed to look like him. As I was preparing this, I was really challenged on a few fronts and was thinking of some ways of practically how might this look in our lives? What could be our response to God's word be? So that it's not just what you hear today and what I say today, but that it gets lived out and worked out in our lives. So firstly, this posture. It may be that while I was talking and you were thinking about, well, what is my security in? Is it in my mortgage that's almost paid off? Is it in my pension provision? Is it in the money that comes into my bank account every month? Is it in my job that's now been made permanent? Maybe those are the things that you sit before God and hold before him and say, Lord, 
Show me what you would have me do with what you've given me. Let me be a partner in the redistribution of all that you have provided. And I know as a church, there is a spirit of generosity in this place. But keep doing it. This world is very fast at sucking us into a cling-to-it mentality. Keep sitting before God and saying, God, what would you do with what you've put in my hand? The second one is being alert. And this was the thing that I really struggled with this week. Am I really expecting Jesus to return? Do I really want it? And so what I felt I should do, and this is a suggestion, is I spent some time in Revelation 21 and 22, those last two chapters of the Bible that talk about what the new heaven and new earth look like. And I didn't even read both chapters. I just stopped at phrases that just gripped me. So there was one day and I spent a few minutes just contemplating there will be no more death. No more death. Like none. Like all those people that we have loved and lost. All those dreams that we have watched crumble. All those things that we had hoped for that didn't come to fruition. There will be a day where there is no more death. And another day was the phrase, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. And I spent a few minutes thinking about what would it look like to see this community, this island, this nation healed. What would it look like in Ukraine right now? Or in Israel and Palestine, where they are shooting rockets at each other, what would it look like to see healing in that place? And as I spent just a few minutes each day, I found rising up in myself an expectation and a longing for that to happen and a, a sense of leaning forward into it. And that is something that we do not just as individuals, but as a church, for one another and with one another. Let's keep our gaze and remind ourselves that, as Bishop David McClay would say, this is the dot. That is the line. That's the thing that just keeps going. And finally, the very beginning of this passage, Jesus starts this this passage with four words, do not be afraid. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, Esther, I'm afraid. Know what the next six months is going to bring. I'm looking at my finances and looking at the bills and thinking that they're not going to match. Maybe you're afraid of Jesus returning. What's he going to say? How's he going to treat me? In 1 John 4, John writes, perfect love casts out fear. And 10 verses before that, in 1 John 4, verse 8, he says, God is love. And so if you find yourself in a place of fear this morning, can I encourage you, be honest with God. 
tell him you're afraid. And then ask him to come as perfect love and cast out that fear. And it, it could happen immediately. It might take a process of you continuing to put yourself in that place and saying, God, fill me with your love and cast out the fear. Fill me with your love and cast out the fear. Because the certain thing is certain. Jesus is returning. And when he comes, his servants will be feasted and celebrated and served by the king. And we may not know when, but we definitely know the what. And so in that confidence, in that certainty, Let's go and be those who give generously, who live radically, and who others will look at and go, they're looking for something more. They're expecting something more because there's more to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that it is certain that you are returning. Thank you that it is certain that when you come, you will restore all things. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live such lives now that we are open-handed in our generosity, that we are leaning forward and looking for your kingdom, and that we are people who are unafraid. let's close with our final benediction the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace Amen